0: Heather loves cats, I don't like them that much, Uh, I prefer dogs, a lot more simple, a lot more straightforward, a lot more male, aren't they? Um, Winchester, you're trying to work that one through now, is that an insult, was he insulting us again? Actually, John Groves and I support Tottenham and Tottenham won yesterday, so I'm quite relaxed about Bournemouth losing. Um... Winchester, it's always great to come to Winchester. Winchester, I love it. It's like being at home in very many ways. In 1975, a young Peter Simmons schoolboy went just up the road here outside the library and uh, spotted a girl from Westgate. Anyway, I spotted this pretty good-looking girl and... uh, I didn't have any confidence to go and chat to her, 14 years old. I spotted this good-looking girl, and I thought, how on earth do I get into her good books? And I used to sort of spy spy her in the uh, sort of re- reflection of the bus window, and think, oh, I found out after about two or three weeks her name was Heather Bailey, and uh, I suddenly realised it was the middle of the summer and nearly every time I saw her at the bus stop and every day she was there she was eating an ice cream or an ice lolly and I thought, I know exactly how to get into a good book so the following day I got down there a few minutes early and bought two 99s. <laughs> and it was a boiling hot day <laughs> and I thought I won't start eating mine because that would be rude and uh, they started to dribble as 99s only can, and all my mates were making fun of me, saying, What on earth are you there for? I said, Just wait and see. <laughs> there was the one day Heather decided she was going to stay late at school and didn't even turn up. So by the time I got on the bus, I had ice cream down my arms and not a lot left of the chocolate flake. Well, I married the girl, and uh, we were almost Twenty 28, 29 years married. We did a marriage day together yesterday and uh, I thank God for her. Met her in Winchester. Do you know what I thank God also for? At the age of 25, I came to a church in Winchester. It was, back then it was called Stanmore Evangelical Free Church. And uh, it was very proud of its independence. And uh, it had this preacher called Greg Haslam, who seemed to have a real knack of offending people. One he hasn't actually lost with all the years. Uh, this has been taped, is not it? So don't send this to Gray. Uh He talked very straight. And uh, I can remember sitting in those meetings, and uh, people actually would stand up in the meetings and yell sometimes and leave. I've never been to church like this before. This is great. Um, and he talked about. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, and uh, all I can say is that church changed. That church was transformed as we received the Spirit. You heard about this from John Groves last week. Received spiritual gifts and started to grow exponentially. Do you know what it did for me, though? Greg Haslam did for me more than any other thing. It gave me a vision for the church. You know, I'd come, to, I'd come out of a little brethren church and I had no expectation that it was just get on with your life, have a little praise party once a week, don't expect too much from God because otherwise you'll get disappointed. And as for the local church, it's more like a bridge club or a stamp collecting club that you go to. Greg told me this was the most incredible agency on earth and worth giving your very life to. And I fell in love with the church. And I'm still in love with the church as I'm in love with my wife. And so when Steve said to me, I'd like you to talk about serving a bigger vision, I, I thought, actually to be honest, I thought, oh great. I can't rehash one of my old sermons. I've got to do some new stuff. Um, but I, I, I felt actually uh, this needs to be something of an apostolic prophetic message to you as a church. So I was quite happy to do the work. Now you're looking at... Uh, Acts uh, chapter 11, I'm going to ask Sean, who's uh, our worship leader down in Bournemouth, if you'll come and read. I want to start, though, by reading Matthew uh, 28, the Great Commission, and then we'll flick over into Acts chapter 11.
1: Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, then it's Acts
0: 11, verse 22, is it?
1: News of this reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a number of the people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples each, according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul.
0: And then Acts 13, verses 1 to 3.
1: In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Thanks, Sean. Jesus
0: said um, to the disciples, he gave them the great commission. And go into all the world and, and make disciples. And it's interesting to read that immediately after Pentecost, what the disciples instinctively did was to start churches. And these churches were spread right across the Roman world. And there was no more significant church, as it turned out, than the church that was planted by a group of unknown believers in Antioch. And if you are a member of this church and have been around for any length of time, you'll know that Rodney Kingston, who was a prophetic man in New Frontiers, came many, many years ago, I think it was almost like the first Sunday we were in this building, and prophesied that we were going to be an Antioch church, or an apostolic-based church. And uh, in many ways, for many years, we've grappled as a church, what does that actually mean for us? And uh, I want to try and unpack a little bit um, of these verses today and to show you how important it is every member of this church understands who you are in Christ, what you have been called to do, and that each one of you, as it were, puts your shoulder uh, to the plough in order to do it. The church is called the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. You are, Paul says, the body of Christ. He wasn't saying you are like a body. You hear some preachers talk about it as if it was a metaphor. He actually says this is who you are. Jesus has returned to heaven but he's left himself on earth. How do people know what Jesus Christ looks like, acts like, speaks like today in our world? They do so because Jesus has left his church, his body on earth to demonstrate himself to the world. And therefore it's not just a group of of, of people coming together. It's not like a a loose collection, a loose affiliation. There is meant to be an interconnectedness about all of us that is uh, vital. That actually our lives depend on one another. We are the body of Christ. How do people in Wichita know what Jesus Christ is like? By people like Hugh and I, and looking at how we live together. But Paul uses, when he's describing building churches, he uses many metaphors. And another metaphor he uses is the temple. And of course, in order to understand why he uses metaphor, we need to understand the Old Testament, where in Old Testament times, the Jews would go once a year to the temple. This was the most incredible building in Jerusalem. This was a place where you would go on the Day of Atonement to meet with God, to have your sins dealt with. You would take with you a sacrifice. It could be grain. Often it would be an animal and blood would have to be shed. And the innocent's blood would be a representation of its death, the death of a life in order that sin could be atoned for, that the sinner giving that gift would be at one or atoned before Almighty God. And as Jesus walked with his disciples through Jerusalem and they said to Jesus, check out the building, as they looked at the temple, and actually this is quite an impressive building, but the temple in Jerusalem was like one of the wonders of their world. Jesus said, it's all coming down. And it's like, what? It's all coming down. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm going to build temples in every town, every village, on every street corner. And that temple is going to be the church of the living God. This is going to be the place where people come to meet God. This is the place where I will manifest my glory and my presence in the midst of the church. And therefore, when we think of church, we mustn't think of it as just something to go to. We must understand that this is the body of Christ. This is the place to encounter God. This is the place where God promises to meet, where two or even three gather. He will be here in our midst. And therefore we come to church on Sunday, not, oh, what's going to go on? We come livingly related, livingly connected, looking for God's glory and God's power to come on lives that are broken, on bodies that are sick, on minds that need healing. Now, Paul was called an apostle. And he wasn't just a jerry builder, he wasn't, have a go, let's see how we can put a few lives together in a few towns. He said he was a grace gift of the living God who knew how it was to build a church. And he built, uh, for a whole year it says here in Antioch, he, he built this church. And this church had certain ingredients about it, apostolic ingredients that I believe pertain to Winchester Family Church. And so I want to, just I should have done a PowerPoint, I've had a busy week, but I want to go through these things that we can see from this passage And underline what it is you have been called to do. And I want you in your spirit, as it were, to say yes to each one. I I believe in God that faith will rise up in your heart. You'll say, yeah, that's the sort of church we belong to. That's the sort of church God's called us to be. You see, Jesus loves this church. When you read the book of Revelation, you understand that every town that Jesus comes to, every church he comes to, whether it's Laodicea, Thyatira, every church has been given a unique responsibility. He didn't just say to the seven churches, just generally love one another and generally watch out for the devil and generally... He didn't do that. He looked at specifics. What I find fascinating is that it's only 50 years since these churches have begun. And already then, in need of God's restoration. Already they're in need of God's realignment. And so I, I, I pray this message today would not be you know, a kick up the pants. I pray it would be a, a, a heart of God alignment for all of us in terms of what we're called to be. Firstly then, and you need to have your Bibles open because I'm going to jump around a little bit. Firstly, you're called to be built... Of an apostolic foundation. If you turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, Paul says this in verse 10. This is what he did in Corinth. This is what he did in all the churches. By the grace of God, God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else Is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul's first foundational uh, doctrine was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is described as the cornerstone. If you understand that metaphor, it was a stone uncut by human hand on which all other stones must be shaped. You'd never cut Jesus Christ to be like us. We never say the church must be, Jesus, you must fit into our church schedule. Church life is to be shaped by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' church. He is the great apostle of the faith. He is the sent one. And there is no other foundation of church life other than Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it just becomes a man made instrument and has no power whatsoever. But foundations differ in shape and size. In fact, the shape of a foundation, as you know, if you go onto a building site, there's different odd bits and shapes and bumps. That determines what is going to happen in the future. And sometimes when you're building, you can have an odd shaped foundation and something can go up and it isn't fully developed. The foundation's still there. I would say to you, church, you are not fully developed. I would say you're not even half developed. I believe God has many, many more things, wonderful ministries, wonderful countries, wonderful growth for you to enter into and you need to embrace by faith. The size of the foundation will determine the size of the building that goes up on it. Sometimes you can pour huge quantities of concrete. You'll be pleased to know we began building our new church building in Bournemouth a month ago. At the moment, you can see nothing. All that's being done is 20-meter pile foundations are going through the sand of Bournemouth. 20 meters and there's loads of these things. What a waste of money. No one's ever going to see it. Just put in a foot. Save all that money. We don't put in a foot because what goes on top of it is massive. And so when you think back, I know some of you thought back, the years we had Greg Haslam here, didn't he? Teach, 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 then John Groves, teach. They're laying in huge foundations. Not that we get big heads and intellectualised, but that we understand this is the church of Jesus Christ. It is massive what God has purpose for this church. Secondly, related to that, you call called to be a big church. Antioch, if you read the story of Antioch, it grew. By the time it was in the second century, they reckon it was half the population of Antioch was part of the church. It got the nickname, the city was renamed Theophilus in terms of the city of God. Such was the, the, the evidence of the grace of God on this group of people. God wants a church of significant size Here. I don't know what you think you are, but you think you're a significant size. I believe God would just want to say, it is nowhere near what I planned. Nowhere near. And so, you know, going to two meetings, you ought to get on and do that. You ought to look at other ways in which you can increase the number of people that you are touching. The cathedral in Winchester still grabs the headlines. I want, and I believe God would want, that this church grabs the headlines. They're on the front of the echo. The city isn't known for an old, decaying building where Diver Bill, whatever, kept it standing up for a few more years. Actually, the city of Winchester is known for the church, the living church of Jesus Christ. Secondly, or thirdly, a model church. When Paul writes to the church in Thessalonians, he says, you became a model to all believers in Macedonia a blueprint, something that could be reproduced again and again and again. Did you know when I went to Bournemouth, I was was sent from here to go down to Bournemouth, and when I got to Bournemouth, I suddenly realised I haven't got a clue how to lead a church. I haven't got the first idea what to do. 140 people looking at you, and you're thinking, how do you build? What And of course, what happens is you have these deja vu moments. You meet a Brian Michener uh, and you think, hey, that's a good guy. I'm going to put him in charge of finances. That's a good move. And then you meet a life and the soul party sort of woman, a Sarah Keyworth. You think, ah, she'd be brilliant in youth. And then you meet a sort of, well, a wild man from Borneo and you think, that's Cliff Payne. You see, I suddenly realised, working alongside Greg, a lot more had gone into me than I'd ever realised. I realised the way this church had grown and had changed and, and looked after people and released people, actually, God had been training me. You know, Winchester, you have shaped Bournemouth massively. That's part of your inheritance. But us together, Bournemouth and Winchester, have shaped many churches. We used to have 12 churches in our region. Now it's over 30 churches in this region. It's nearly 40 churches in India. And we've now got four churches in the Iberian Peninsula. Because of this church. Next is a spirit-filled church. You'd read in Acts 13 there, While they were worshipping the Lord, the Holy Spirit said... And then when you read in verse 4 of chapter 13... The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Paul was looking for the evidence of the Holy Spirit's activity everywhere he went. That's what I'm looking for when I come to this church. I am not interested in how your notebooks are going and your theology and all that whilst important to me. I am looking on a morning like this for the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, the promised Holy Spirit? Pentecost was not just an optional extra, it was the vital ministry of Jesus to empower his church to get the job done. John Hosier reminded us a few days ago, when he was speaking to the, the group of leaders in the region, he was saying, what birthed New Frontiers wasn't apostles, it wasn't grace. What birthed New Frontiers was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he said, if I've got one concern, it's this, that the new generation of believers, as I'm speaking over here as well, the new generation of believers coming through are viewing that baptism in the Holy Spirit as something either they don't need or is an optional extra and not actually receiving what God has promised. When God promises things, we want to inherit it, don't we? So are you, this morning... In the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptised in the Holy Spirit? Is the Spirit's work something of age ago experience? I remember 1984 and you have never received the refilling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I was just chatting to Martin and uh, talking about I've taken up kayaking in this last year. Heather and I have taken up kayaking. Uh, We've got three three kayaks, two fishing kayaks and a, a sporty one. And a few weeks ago, I decided it was high time I went out fishing. Now, I only had a moment when I could do this. And so Heather took me down, looked out at sea, and the sea was rough. And she said to me, you're not going to go out in that. And I thought, well, it can't harm you, can it? I'm sure there'll be fish out there. So with my fishing rod behind me, she disappeared off. She was going to pick me up in an hour or two and I, I, I took a long time to get in, waiting for the right time. And I got out, and I was in these huge waves. It, my heart was beating. It was fantastic. Absolutely, I didn't catch anything. And then I, the, wave, the weather's getting worse, and I'm starting to come towards the shore. And I don't know, it always seems to happen to me, a lady stops and starts to yell at me. I mean, I'm from here to the balcony away, sort of watching these waves, and she's going, oh. What did she say? And so I'm sort of paddling near and near, trying to watch this. And suddenly, as I'm getting quite near, this huge wave comes behind me. And it rolls me over and over and over. I lost my fishing rod. I mean, I bang my head with a kayak. I crawl out. It's great to touch bottom. And I crawl out. <laughs> Sorry, what were you say? She said, is it warm in there? Yes, try it out. Oh, is it warm in there? The truth was, I was baptised in power. It was the most amazing experience. Actually, you and I are called to be baptised in power. We are called to lose our feet. Church shouldn't be comfortable. It should be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. There should be the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. We should be expecting right now, Guy, to suddenly break out with words of knowledge, shouldn't we? No, no, you're not just stay where you are. You're looking very nervous. Just back up. So we need to be engaging with the Holy Spirit. We also need to be a gospel church. When we turn into Acts, we realise that Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he stood up on Acts chapter 3, he he preaches, or Acts chapter 2, he preaches an incredible message on the back of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says to the people, the big crowd that's gathered them, he says that, He talks about Jesus of Nazareth, the man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourself know. And then he comes to this sort of real challenging part. He said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This church is called to preach the good news, the gospel. And what these verses reveal to us, and we need to understand, if you're not a believer in this room this morning, you need to understand that mankind's condition is so bad, our pride is so, so much, our sin, even though we might think our life is together, our sin is, is so wicked that we, if we were back then, would find ourselves in the crowd. When we are confronted with Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the light of the world, when sin is exposed in our lives, we would join the crowd and say, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter reveals that the cross, the death of Jesus Christ was no accident. It was no, oh, God's dropped the ball. This was the mystery hidden in the Old Testament pages, now revealed through the Son, that this was God's plan. There was no other way for this world to be saved, but for God himself to take the penalty of sin, and the wrath of God, and pay for it fully himself. He did that in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter on the day of Pentecost preaches this powerful message. And people say, wow! What must we do to get right with God? And he says, change your mind. Repent and believe in God's gift. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I can remember the day I became a Christian. It feels like yesterday. I could not believe when the call went out, a vicar preached. And he said, there are people in this room today God's calling to surrender their lives. I could not believe God would want me. And He said, if that's you today, I just want you to pray this prayer. i tell you what, my life was transformed as I responded to the love of God. If you are not a Christian here this morning, can I plead with you, with all my heart, change your mind. Change your mind about God, because God is good. Change your mind about sin in your own life. Stop telling yourself that you're okay and that you're quite good. You're not. We're none of us are. We're rotten to the core. And God doesn't want slaves this morning. He doesn't want slavish religion. not want you going to church, boring church. He wants your life to be transformed. What transforms a life is the gospel. The good news. God wants sons and daughters. He doesn't just forgive us our sin, he clothes us with his righteousness. Now, we need to let this message get out there. We need to use every possible means to get the gospel out there. We may walk well-trodden paths of alphas and everything else, but I want to challenge you, please hear this. God would challenge you, whatever it takes, get the good news out there. Don't just use old models. You know, when it comes to our world around us, I get fed up with junk mail. I get fed up with people grabbing me in the street trying to sell me something. I get fed up with people cold calling. Hello, Mr. Miller. How are you today? I'm ill. I've got piles. (laughs) I always want to do something like that. How are you today? What's going on with you? Who are you? Mr. Miller, can I interest you in cheap gas? No. No, you can't. Mr. Miller, why can't I interest you in cheap gas? Because I like my Rolls Royce gas. My car and my house is burning brilliantly. And I don't want your swamp gas anyway, so push off. I hate cold calling. I hate it when the Church of Jesus Christ gives the gospel in a way which isn't full of compassion and grace. How many scouts? Can I make a plea that you do not excuse yourself, any single one of you, from this task? I believe in friendship evangelism with all my heart. But I want to challenge you, you can be too friendly. What do I mean by that? If you are so friendly with your neighbours and your schoolmates and your friends that you never tell them that you're a Christian, you never tell them that you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you never tell them about the work of the cross and the, and the beauty of the church, I would suggest to you, you are too friendly. We, uh, we, we're working our way through Luke, uh, and in Luke 14, we haven't got time to turn there, you'll know... That, uh, this this parable of the great banquet and the message goes out and, and the servants come back and say, there's room. You know, they're, they're not all, some of them want to go and try out the oxen, some of them want to do some other stuff and they're, they're just too busy. And the, 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 the owner, the master goes, go back out, go back out, compel, compel, compel. And you think, the church needs to understand how powerful the church is. The church needs to understand how powerful the gospel is. It's the power of God unto the salvation for everybody that believes. And if you think anybody is impossible, you were. I was. So let's get the message out. It's a discipling church. Um, If we go back to Acts uh, 11, I'm sure John and Steve would probably bang this point to death, but the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch you all know because you've got uh, great Bible teachers that Luke uses quite a few words for believers uh, over his Luke and Acts and uh, he starts with brother he uses that many times that we are family which is important we understand he talks about believers that we need to understand that as the church we're saved by faith, by believing in the Bible, believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ but he also uses this word disciple and now The disciples got the nickname Christian or mini-Christs, mini and it was a nickname, okay? It wasn't a nice thing to be called back then. You're just like Jesus, you're clones of Jesus, you're mini-Christs. Now, unfortunately, our world and the world in which we live, Christian has been devalued to mean nothing. It's not a helpful word to use, its coinage has been devalued. I mean, I meet Christians who say, wouldn't it be great if a famous footballer became a Christian? Or they've heard of a famous footballer become a Christian. And we should get them to speak at our church. And there is the first problem, getting a footballer to speak. But at the end of the day, you know what I mean. Wayne Rooney, he's off his game. Off his game, Just 90,000 quid a week. How can you be off your game? I'll be running around going, yes, that's 1,000, that's 2,000, 3,000, just for wandering around a pitch. The Bible uses the word disciple, which is an apprentice or a learner. And the key ingredients of a disciple Jesus goes through in Luke 15, but the one I just want to highlight before we finish, is a disciple is someone who has lost his life. Jesus said, anyone who didn't take up his cross and follow me. You see, Martin Luther King said, if you haven't found something worth dying for, I submit to you, you're not fit to live. And whilst we can feel quite safe and secure in Winchester, which is a nice place to live, and feel like the world is a mile away, I want to remind you we are connected together in this family called New Frontiers. And I want to remind you that just two months ago, a New Frontiers pastor in Dagestan, as he came out and left his church on a Sunday morning, Someone came up and shot him through the windscreen of his car and shot him dead. I want to remind you that at the funeral, his wife stood up surrounded by this massive bodyguard because her life indeed was under threat. She stood in front of her husband's coffin and she said, I just want to say to those people who are chanting hatred right now, who hate the church, I forgive you everything this church was challenged to go underground in the midst of great crisis but it says we're not going underground this is why we were saved this is why we exist and i want to say to all of us we do need to recognize when we said yes to jesus we lost our life we won eternal life and that eternal life waits for us and that for our life to count, we must continually count that cost and die daily to sin and to selfishness in order to do what God wants us to do, which is build his church and to preach the gospel. I'm not trying to lay anything heavy on anybody this morning. I'm just challenged immensely myself in terms of how we're meant to live. New Testament people died for their loyalty to the local church. Are you giving yourself fully to the local church? get behind Steve he's a great great leader you know you're going to do a conference next week on the poor, I want to encourage you you might say there's no poor in Winchester yes there are there are many I would say 25% of the people we attract in Bournemouth are from the poor and it's good news for the poor you don't just say stay as you are you've got good news to see lives redeemed And so I want to encourage you to play a big part in that as well. And so in conclusion, the final thing I want to say to you in terms of what sort of church you're called to be is in Acts 13, verse 2. Whilst they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I'm sure this was by a prophetic word, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. You are to be and called to be, I believe, a prophetically missional church. If you could but see those people that are dependent on your obedience, that go right around the globe, I am sure it would encourage your hearts massively. You may never meet them in this life, but I guarantee in the life to come, you will meet people who will say, Thank you. Thank you. You're from, you're from that church. Thank you if it hadn't been for your giving, if it hadn't been for your releasing men, if it hadn't been for your obedience, we would never have heard the gospel. This church, Antioch, not Jerusalem, became the centre of missionary activity across the Roman world. Winchester Family Church, you've already played a key role, I've said that, in the region. But I believe there is a greater work to be done John Groves is being released released half his time to serve the apostolic in this region and regions beyond. Get behind John Groves. He is an outstanding minister. Outstanding in New Frontiers. One of the very top in New Frontiers. I can speak like this because he's not here. Don't give him the tape either. He is superb. His prophetic ministry alone has shaped the whole movement. You need to understand, him working alongside me, when he wasn't around for his sabbatical, I really struggled not having John around. He needs to be released to bless the wider church. The wider church will grow as you, as a church, say, John isn't off doing whatever in Portugal today. He is helping Portugal to be transformed with the gospel. He is building the local church. He's producing a model Winchester there that can be reproduced again and again and again in Portugal in Madrid. Steve Chick, he's not only on the apostolic team, he's also called here by God and his major work is to build this church. Follow his lead, make his work a joy, not a pain. Eastleigh, this is a great thing, this is the most exciting thing we're doing in this geographical region. You need to get behind. Not just, oh, Dave and Amber are going to do it. No, you as a church, we together are doing this together. And we want to see a massive different church again from the makeup of this one, but a great church. Get behind Dave and Amber. Get behind West Point. You were great this year, apart from all the caravans. Next year, buy a few more tents. You might fit in a bit better. No, just a joke. Get down to West Point. All of you get down to West Point. You are enormous blessing to the other churches in the region. There is much to be done. There is 1.1 billion in India and we have only 35 churches. The South and West have only got 30 plus churches. We need hundreds. Portugal and Spain, four. In those big nations, we need to see many, many more planted. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And he's going to hold every church accountable. We all have often individualize this and worry, oh, how's my life going to be? Am I going to... He's gonna hold churches accountable. He says to those that have been given much, much is expected. Sadly, or greatly, whichever way you want to look at this, I think it's great, this church has been given massive amounts of blessing. Beautiful people, massive amounts of finance and gift. And God says, On that day, when I return. I want to look you as a church in the eye and say, well done. Look at the thousands and thousands from India that are here because you were obedient. Look at all those Spanish speakers and Portuguese speakers here because you were obedient. I want to have and I want to hear Jesus well done on that day to you as a church. Because you are in a unique position. Your obedience means blessing to thousands. I can say that to this church, it doesn't rest with other churches, it rests with you. Rest with a church like Bournemouth as well. We have a big part to play, so let's partner together. Seize today the unique calling God has put on you as individuals in order to get behind your leaders. Transform Winchester for Jesus' glory and release many to go to church plants and into the nations for the glory of God. That's the sort of church I believe God has called you to be. And I'd like now just to pray for you before I hand back to Steve. Why don't you stand? Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you and bless you for this precious, precious church. Thank you, Jesus. You love this church. Thank you, Jesus. As I've walked up and down these aisles this morning, you've walked up and down these aisles. You are here to encourage faith. You're here to rebuke uh, uh, unbelief and sin. You're here to build your church. This is your church. And I want to pray for faith today to engage in what it means to be this incredibly important Antioch church. Lord, as maps were drawn on the back of the Old Testament, back of our New Testament with Paul's travelling, I pray maps would be drawn from this church's activity into the nations of the world. I pray you'd open up new nations. I pray India would open up in a massive way. I pray for Portugal, Spain. I pray for many other nations, Lord Jesus. And I pray this church here would grow and grow and grow. I pray for faith today, for the gospel. I pray for individuals today to receive Holy Spirit anointing to go from this place and to tell their neighbour and to tell their friend and their family that Jesus Christ loves them. I pray, Lord, that this church would grow with newbies, new believers becoming Christians every Sunday. I pray, Lord, this balcony would be filled. I pray for double meetings, so much meetings that people... You just can't control the number of people pushing in to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for this church. Let your spirit now rest on every soul, every life. And let us go from this place encouraged to get our hands dirty, to get up behind our leaders and to see your glory every time we gather, to see the manifestation of your presence every time we gather. We want to be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray let faith arise, and let every single heart say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, amen. May the amen be uttered in hearts in this place today, for Jesus' glory, amen. 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 Thank you, Steve.
2: Amen. Thanks, Guy. I was um, We're going to finish the meeting in a moment or two, but earlier this week, I um, was down in and I felt God speak to me, um, and I felt he was speaking for us as a church and it's a story of joshua at jericho and if you know the story um Joshua's standing at jericho he's uh, he's been told he's got to he knows he's got to defeat break into the city and he he looks at it and he sees the walls the walls are massive it's a huge city he doesn't have it doesn't know what to do doesn't Doesn't seem to have a plan of action. And he's standing near Jericho, it says. And then he sees someone standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And uh, I believe that that was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And uh, Joshua goes up to him and says, are you for us or for our enemies? And neither, he replies. But he says this. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And I just sort of felt there was something in that phrase, I have now come. And uh, just thinking uh, for us as a church, you know, in terms of what Guy was saying about we have a a, a big foundation and yet uh, we aren't anywhere close to what God wants us to be at the moment. God wants to do much more. And sometimes we can look at it and think, well, how can God do this? How can this happen? How can we break through? How can we defeat Jericho? How can we get into this city? What's the answer? What do we do? Jesus says, I have now come. And I just thought I felt it was a real prophetic encouragement for us. God wants you to know that whatever obstacles, whatever Jerichos you're facing in your own life, as you hear guy setting out what uh, we should be like as a church and you should be like as an individual, it's a huge challenge, isn't it? And you think, how can I do that? How can I be like that? Jesus says, I have now come. It's Jesus who makes the difference, submitting our lives to Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ this morning, I want to urge you, do that this morning. If you've come maybe as a guest or a friend and you've never put your trust in Jesus, do it. Jesus transforms lives. He's transformed many, many lives here. Many people could get up and give wonderful stories of what Jesus has done for them. He could do that for you this morning if you let him. Come to the front at the end. Come and let us, we've got a a team over here who will be willing to pray with you, talk to you, help you take that first step of coming to know Jesus Christ. But I want you to know as a church, I believe God is saying to us that he has come. He is amongst us. And he is about a great work. He is building his church. He's going to do what he's going to do amongst us. And he wants us to be humble. He wants to be a people committed to him serving him. And so if we've heard Guy's great exhortation, thank you for that guy, really appreciate it. You know, to be a people who are out there sharing good news with our neighbours and friends. We have the best news, don't we? Jesus Christ transforms lives. To get out there and do it. God's spirit is on us for this and he wants us to press in. So I just want to encourage you, seek God with all your heart in your community groups, in your own personal quiet times. And as a church together, we're going to press in after God for all he has for us. I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'm going to close the meeting, unless Tita's got something she's going to share. Yeah,
3: here I am again. Um, I, on Saturday morning when I was praying, I saw our church and... Uh, I saw it like in the map and when you see the weather forecast and it said rain there and we have had loads of it so maybe it was just the weather for the day. But, um, um, and at the same time it reminded me of the grass in our um, our garden which burnt so badly on, on earlier in the summer when it was really hot and we thought that it would never recover. It really was looks like it's done. It's black and looked quite horrible. And now as this rain has been coming in this autumn there's there's the grass has been coming. And even the, when you look distant, some patches look quite black still, but there's a little tiny grass coming in there and it actually looks, so, garden looks so much better already. But I was just thinking when Guy um, was saying about the uh, the balcony be filled and thing, and it's like those empty seats, but God has, totally has a plan. And, and I hope that that was his water weather forecast that his, his rain will come and, and do the job.
2: Yeah, hallelujah. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We say we look for you. You have the answer to our personal obstacles, to our personal Jerichos, those things that look so locked up. Lord, you are our answer. And we thank you that you have promised never to leave us or forsake us. You've come to us. And so, Lord, we look for your answer for personal problems, personal difficulties, for breakthroughs in healing for breakthroughs in job situations, in finances, personal difficulties. But, Father, as a church, we also look to you. We say, as we face this huge challenge in front of us, we say thank you that you are amongst us. We say you are our captain. You're the captain of the host, and we look for your leadership. Lead us in the days ahead into all that you have for us. Father, may we see your kingdom come amongst us. May we see many saved, many uh, lives transformed, many disciples. Lord, take us into all that you have for us as a church. In Jesus' name. Amen.